listening to the Rothko Chapel podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're talking today with Terry Burke, the Executive Director at ACLU Texas, and Reverend Lisa Hunt, the Rector at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church. Thank you so much for joining us today, ladies, taking time out of your day. Thanks for having us. Delighted to be here. Terry, could you tell us a little bit about HERO and why the ACLU is supporting it? Sure. Um, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance is uh, the right thing to do, mm. is uh, the major reason we're supporting it. But we are actually the last major city in the country to pass a non-discrimination ordinance. Mm. 200 cities have such an ordinance. And as you know, the, the Equal Rights Ordinance protects, in, in Houston, protects 15 categories of people. Mm some of whom are protected by the Federal Civil Rights Act, but veterans, for an example, and LGBT folks uh, are not protected. They have no federal or state protections. Mm. So this, this offers something for them that they don't get any other way. And as the ACLU, we, we believe and we defend the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, and we think that's for everyone. Mm. So it, it's just natural that here, particularly in our hometown, uh, we want we want to be a part of supporting this very important ordinance. Could you tell us a little bit about who's opposing it and why? Well, um, I can tell you what I know uh, and what they've said. <laughs> uh, the folks opposing it attend. To, uh, they they call themselves the Houston chapter of the U.S. Pastors Council, mm. uh, which you can find a website for. Um, it's a it seems to me to be a limited group of pastors or de denominations, mm -hmm. and, and um, we can hear more about that. Mm -hmm. But um, So it's the Houston chapter of the Pastors Council. It is uh, a man who was the chairman of the Harris County Republican Party, mm. uh, who failed in his attempts at, um, at, at re-election and to become, I think he wants to be the state chair, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, and it's and it's uh, supported by Dr. Stephen Hotze, who has supported things like this in the past in Houston, as I understand it. Mm. There's also, I'm told, some national money coming in from uh, something called Alliance Defending Freedom, although I haven't seen evidence mm. of that. Um, so, and they have a couple of smaller donors uh, locally and several uh, elected uh, state legislators, people like that. Mm. Uh, they say they oppose it because they have one, they have one argument, mm. and it's bathrooms. Mm. Uh, they say they oppose it because this allows uh, transgender people to go in the restroom that best represents, best suits who they mm -hmm. are, express themselves as. But the other side has turned this into something really nasty and odious and ugly, and it's mm. not true. It's a lie. Mm. Uh, that you know they, they're suggesting that children will be and women will be preyed upon by sexual predators that's illegal today in Houston it will be illegal on November the 4th after we restore the ordinance hmm. uh, to its place in our city's life so that's what they say are their arguments what do I think hmm. I think that they are opposed to this ordinance because they're homophobes hmm. And I did, uh, I did a public television show a few weeks ago, Red, White, and Blue, with David Welch, who's the local head of the Pastors Council. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much admitted on TV that this was about uh, LGBT folks. 
uh, he said, he pointed to me and he said, you people write these ordinance to, ordinances just to protect LGBT people. And I said, well, that that is true because mm. they don't have any other protections. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and then I challenged him and I said, so that's really what you're objecting what you're to. Objecting to. Mm -hmm. And and he said, well, it's it's less than you're protecting less than one percent of the world's population. And I said, well, you know, and that bothers you apparently, you know. Uh, you know, it's a local. I mean, there's no question that there are uh, of those fifteen categories. There are a number of people, number of categories who are protected by federal law. Hmm. But as we like to say, to access that federal law, you've got to file a federal case. Hmm. You have to hire a lawyer. You have to go through any if it's if it's employment, for example, you've got to go to the EEOC, get a right to sue letter that can take eight or nine months or longer, and then you go through the whole thing, and it may be four years from now, and you know most folks just want their job back. They don't want to or to wanna, rent an apartment or rent an apartment <laughs> or or you know be able to go in a restaurant and and, and enjoy what everybody else is enjoying. And so this way, with the ordinance, you can file your complaint, the city will investigate, you'll have a resolution within a matter of a couple of months, mm. probably at most. Mm. So you get, you as the complainant get mm. to see this play out, you as the business owner get your day in court, so to speak, mm. and, and everybody gets a pretty happy conclusion, I think. If you, the complainant, still want to file a federal lawsuit, you can, yeah. but it won't be necessary. And are, just to clarify some confusion, are transgender people one of the categories that's mm -hmm. currently included in HERO? Yes, they yes are. they are. Okay. Lisa, could you tell us a little bit about why you support HERO? I think that HERO is a, a really important um, moral standard mm. for our community. I think it's an embodiment of the golden rule of doing unto others as you would want to be treated. And I think um, no matter what religious tradition you come from, that's a, a baseline standard for human interaction and for human community. Mm. And so I think the fact that um, there is a multiplicity of categories mm. really illustrates the fact that we have difficulty with otherness um, yeah. as, as citizens. And I think that uh, delineating those groups enables us to stretch and see um, the others that we should be treating as we would want to be treated and that there are no outsiders in the city of Houston, that every citizen um, is protected. And I think that that's a critical piece that we can't assume. And mm -hmm. the fact that there is this kind of backlash illustrates um, that we're not at a place where we can assume it. And so having it as a legal standard, uh, and laws are about um, setting the bar of justice in a clear way with what our ethics are going to be mm -hmm. um, in a commonly articulated fashion. That's what law does for us. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that we need this law uh, is illustrated by the fact that when the ordinance was in place, uh, over half of the complaints had to do with racial discrimination mm -hmm. in Houston. So while the um, opponents of HERO raise the specter of um, boogeymen coming into women's bathrooms, the real story, it seems to me, is that um, there's racial tension in our city mm. and that that is a huge issue and a growing one for mm. us as a state as well, as we're articulating 
Who are citizens? How do we want to be treated? Is there equality for every human being in, in, um, in the city of Houston and in the state of Texas? And I think the fact that we're having such backlash mm -hmm. illustrates that we've got some really core, core work to do as a polis um, mm -hmm. to define human dignity and the function of law. I think the other thing that I would say about HERO and why we need it, uh, the HERO first passed pre-Ferguson. Mm. And I think that one of the things that surfaced in, um, out of the Ferguson experience was the fact that um, citizens have very limited access to uh, corrective action uh, in our city government. And I think one of the really powerful things about HERO is that if I'm discriminated against by the police even, um, while it's not set up to be to serve that function, there is a watchdog component to HERO. I do have a place I can go locally to say I've been discriminated against um, or treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an important corrective as we're growing together um, as a city in diversity, both religiously, uh, in terms of sexual orientation and racially. I think that Houston's a huge experiment around this mm -hmm. diversity, mm -hmm. but I think the fact that we're having this kind of backlash also says that what rights look like and who has access, yeah. uh, you know, that this is still an area that we've got to negotiate as a, as a city. Mm. That's a great point. It mm. really is. And you mentioned a moral compass or a moral code. Is um, either of your faith inform your support for HERO? Well, I'm an Episcopalian, so I'll let the I'll let the rector speak for my faith. <laughs> well, I think um, in in the Episcopal tradition, we're we are Catholic in the sense that baptism defines uh, our identity, and in our uh, baptismal covenant that we make as we are baptized. Uh, we make a commitment um, to honor the dignity of every human being and, and to seek Christ in all persons, um, loving our neighbors as ourselves. And as I said earlier, I think that um, HERO really is an encapsulates the golden rule, which is also coming out of our baptismal covenant. So while I may not agree with you on every political issue, I've got to respect your dignity as a human being. And I think that from our um, tradition as an established church back in England, mm -hmm. our, our question really is how do you set up a common good in a way that mm -hmm. honors uh, the religious diversity of, of the, the breadth of the community, but at the same time holds fundamental values um, mm -hmm. for, every, for every citizen. Mm -hmm. I think that that, you know, coming out of the Anglican mm -hmm. tradition, that's something that we really get. So you're a citizen, but you also are um, a human being, and you may be a person of faith or no faith, mm -hmm. um, but that we are, um, we have a common commitment to one another on some basic uh, rights and ways of treating each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I sort of just put it in, in real, you know, simplistic terms of, you know, how can I say I am an Episcopalian? How can I say I'm a Christian and not open my heart and my mind and my arms to these other people? Because that's what my faith taught me. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the painful things for me as a religious leader is that religious organizations are actually exempt from hero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what does it say as a person of faith to be exempt from... Um, from law that would make people be treated as human beings and as equal in the sight of the law. So I think that there's 
there is that religious exemption in the law, and right. I think that's very important for people to recognize. Nobody's going to force religious institutions to be able to do something that is against their conscience as a, as a corporate entity or as individuals working within that corporate entity mm. of the church or synagogue or temple. Um, but at the same time, that disjunction, I think, also says, says a lot a about lot. the state it of our, our religious life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, so is, is your congregation, have you taken an official public position on HERO, and has the Episcopal Church taken a position? Um, so my uh, congregation is uh, governed by a group called the Vestry, mm-hmm. and actually um, HERO came up through our Vestry. So our leaders mm-hmm. said um, there's an opportunity to join corporately uh, into Houston Unites, and we think we should do that. Um, we have a history as a congregation of being a place that um, that holds uh, welcome for everyone. Mm. And so we thought this was um, in keeping with our charism. I know that our bishop um, will speak for the diocese, and I, and I know that he's coming out with a public statement. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Um, Terry, is it important for faith leaders to have a voice in the political arena on issues like this? And I, I know there's voices, obviously, on both sides of the issue. So what role uh, yeah, does Yeah, I, I don't want those other faith leaders to have <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just the right No, I mean, I, you know, again, I think, I think there's a place for everybody to mm. have a voice in the, in, the, in the conversation. My concern is, that the, is, is whose voice rises to the top. Sure. And in this case... I don't think I'm overstating it to say that this truly is a very vocal minority mm. whose voices have have risen to the top. Uh, you know, you can look at our camp, Houston Unites campaign mm-hmm. finance report. You can look at their campaign finance report. Uh, we had nearly 700 individual donors to our campaign. They had very, uh, I don't know, we had 229-page report, and they had a 26-page report, so <laughs> I don't know how many that is. tells a story. Right, but, but my, my point is not so much who raised the most money or, or whatever, but they didn't have a bunch of support. And yet, so when you talk about should faith leaders or whoever, I mean, everybody ought to be able to talk about this. I, mm-hmm. I happen to support this ordinance. I happen to believe in it for both reasons that stem from my faith and reasons that stem from my belief in the Constitution, which, of course, I happen to think are kind of connected. Sure. Um, but as much as I believe in this ordinance, I'm willing to have a, an honest debate about it. Mm. I'm willing to say I can appreciate why there are parts of it that may bother people. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that. Uh, but you, it's, it's how people use faith in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think the crowd that we're hearing so loudly from on the one side, um, and again, it's, it's an awkward thing to say. Uh, you know, I'm looking at Lisa here for help because, <laughs> you know, I, it's an awkward thing to say, well, they're, they're, they're wrong. Sure. Uh, but from what I know, from what I understand about, about religion and for the most part, those people on the other side call themselves Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, their message seems very inconsistent yeah. to me. So I think there is a place. I think that I think the life of this city. I think our values. Uh, most of us, our values come from something spiritual. Mm. 
uh, as you say, maybe maybe someone's not of a specific religion. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not churched, mm-hmm. but there's something that 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 directed them to have a value set. Mm-hmm. And I think that the greatness of our city will come from this this commingling of values mm-hmm. and finding uh, our way that, that with them. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing I would add to that is I think what has made Houston a a very successful city is that we have been willing to take risks together Mm -hmm. to do new things. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, fear-based people have a hard time taking risks Mm -hmm. and creating new things. So what is really um, noteworthy to me about... um, my fellow Christians who are coming out against this in a public way is that fear is the strategy that's getting um, utilized Mm. and it's deeply emotionally manipulative and it's not reasoned. Mm. Um, I think it's bigoted and I think it's fear-mongering and I think that uh, we have not come to be the city we are um, by capitalizing on Mm. that energy Mm. or those impulses and what's made Houston a, a vibrant place that's come out of nothing mm. is people believe that they can do things and they can be <laughs> things and they can risk things. Yeah. And that is who we are as Houstonians. Mm-hmm. And I see the, the tactics that are getting employed um, by the opposition to be antithetical to who we are as mm. a people. Because mm-hmm. um, we, we will not face our challenges uh, we have not faced our challenges in the past, nor will we in the future, mm. by um, by fear being the primary motivator. Mm. They, they, we just we have not become a great city by being fear based, um, and so I think that um, I think there's a lot of anxiety in our culture right now as we're trying to live into this diversity. Mm. We're doing a hard thing as a city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is hard, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think we we um, handle the ethnic diversity, the religious diversity, the economic diversity and challenges that come with that, the changes in in our economy Mm -hmm. um, by dividing ourselves off from one another or by using fear as the the tactic. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that's so powerful about Proposition One is it invites us to be together and say Mm -hmm. we're together and we're moving together. Um, And as Terry said, we're not unique in that. You know, many, many, many cities have done that, and the sky has not fallen, and children have not gotten molested in bathrooms. I mean, that's not where it happens. So I think for us to go on record publicly and to get over our past fear of, of voting around this, I think is really an important step for Houston as citizens to say we can risk voting on this together. And that, and that the vision of our city is going to be positive and inclusive and diverse. How do you in, how do you in a diverse city like Houston create space for honest conversations that aren't based on fear-mongering about controversial issues like potentially here? I mean, how do you create that in a congregation? How do you create that in the public sphere? I mean, how do you... It seems to me like we need to have an elevated level of dialogue than the one that's happening right now around here. That's not just about, you know, women in bathrooms or little girls in bathrooms. How do you create the space for those kind of conversations? You know, I, I think that um, what, one of the things we've been doing as an organization is going out and having kitchen table conversations. Mm-hmm. I, I was sitting here thinking that the three of us are sitting here at this table and 
and we're two of us at least are like-minded um, but wouldn't it be interesting to have three more people at this table who maybe didn't come here with the same thoughts mm -hmm. and the same set of values uh, so long as they come to this table with an open mind and a willingness not to uh, to, to spew uh, untruths and or or to 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 attack We've been, we do a lot of work on the border uh, down in the lower Rio Grande Valley. Mm -hmm. We have an office down there. And uh, we work on um, another swell and easy topic, abortion rights. <laughs> and so we went to the valley to talk about abortion rights, mm -hmm. which a lot of people said to me, gee, you must love pushing boulders up mountains. <laughs> but what we're doing is we're gathering folks, women, in the morning, we call it the coffee, the kitchen table conversation series. Mm. And they put the kiddos on the bus, and five or six women sit at the kitchen table for an hour or so and talk about this issue. And as you might imagine, talking about abortion in a, in a place with a steep uh, religious tradition mm -hmm. that opposes it, it's an interesting thing to mm -hmm. do. But when you do that, you find common ground. And intimacy. Yeah, that. I mean, it may not be that, in fact, it isn't that people walk out going, oh, I believe in abortion rights now. Sure. But it is that they've walked out with a new way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's all I ask, is mm -hmm. let's just all find a way to have new ways of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking for everybody to agree with me. I'd love it and make my life really easy. <laughs> but, uh, but I just think it's, it's coming together in small spaces. I don't think it's, I don't think it's having you know, 400 people out here on the lawn. Sure. Uh, I think you do have to do it in intimate gatherings. But I think we can do it. And, mm -hmm. I, and we've started it, and a lot of other organizations have. Mm -hmm. I think people are beginning mm -hmm. to recognize. I mean, church is a place mm -hmm. where you can do that, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so I, that's what I think we have to do. Could you talk to us a little bit, Lisa, about how you see that working in a congregation or like a vestry yeah group. i think it's really important that respect be the bottom line of um in terms of moral values mm -hmm. that i'm not going to demonize you mm -hmm. or or treat you as if you were a subhuman because you disagree with me and i think that that this um you know polarization has marked our common life for so long at least the last 15 years mm -hmm. if not 20 that 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 kind of sitting down at a table and thinking you don't have horns on, and mm -hmm. I really can mm -hmm. learn something mm -hmm. from you. I think humility is also part of the respect. <laughs> right. You know, to realize that um, I don't know everything. Your experience and your learning may inform me in a way that I need, to, you know, I can learn from you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sense of wonder and curiosity about each other is also something that we're lacking. Sure. Um, because I think in this polarizing rhetoric, rhetorical environment that we're in, you know, I can name you as one thing. Mm -hmm. and, and very few human beings that I've ever met are just one thing. Sure. I think part of the wonder of creation is there are multiple dimensions to us. Mm -hmm. and, and my hunch is if we're together around a kitchen table or um, a meal, there's going to be something of yeah. you that I can resonate with, yeah. even though I may not agree with you on everything. Um, and I think being able to get back to that place because there was a time in our common life where we may not agree with everybody, but you had tools for being mm -hmm. able to listen and, mm -hmm. and to speak and not just be unidirectional mm -hmm. either right. way, I think is really an, a, a critical piece in creating those safe, uh, safe is a weird word, but, but a respectful environment where you can risk 
um, naming an idea or sharing a vulnerability or um, having a curiosity that you don't have nailed down necessarily, I think is really important. And I think one of the reasons that Hero has been helpful um, helpful is that, you know, many of us don't know trans people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think this has made us have to listen to the experience of trans folks um, and realize that those caricatures of predators in the bathroom doesn't really match the experience of people who are trans. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's been a very powerful thing in my community. Um, to be able to hear those stories. Mm -hmm. And I think once we are able to share those narratives of our own life experience and our own thinking, it's much more difficult to pigeonhole people. Sure. Yeah. Could you, you mentioned Houston Unites, Terry. Could you tell us a little bit more about that initiative and how it's involved in HERO? So, um, two and a half years ago, actually, long before HERO, uh, right after the 2013 legislative session, which upon retros in retrospect we were incredibly naive, uh, or I was naive, mm -hmm. but after that legislative session we had passed, there had been no anti-LGBT bills introduced in that session. Mm -hmm. uh, we had fought back against all of the anti-abortion bills. There, we had defeated um, vouchers for private schools. Mm -hmm. So we saw this as, I saw it as a new day in Good Texas. Good year. Yeah. <laughs> Victory. <laughs> great year, great year. Of course, as you may recall, that's also the summer that they passed the most restrictive abortion sure, yeah. regulations that's ever. But, but this was in the window between the mm -hmm. two. So I called a group together that included um, uh, gee, the Human Rights Campaign, which is a national mm -hmm. group, Texas Freedom Network, Equality Texas, Lambda Legal, um, Anti-Defamation League, Transgender Network, and us, and maybe somebody else is at the table that I'm going to hate leaving out, but anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and we came together, and I said, look, you know, here's an opportunity. Let's start something affirmative. Mm. And so we mapped out this grand plan uh, to do a public, launch a public education campaign across the state and really start educating people about the need for a statewide non-discrimination ordinance, not just the city-based thing. Uh, but yeah, it'd be nice if Houston passed one, but let's just, let's just go for the mm -hmm. big one, you know? And we, we uh, put some resources into it, and we began to meet, and we began to plan, and things were going well, and then the, the, the ordinance was passed in May of mm -hmm. 2014, and so we, we turned just to Houston at that point. So uh, we still, I mean, I think we never thought this was going to about the ballot. Mm. So on July the 24th, when our peace and tranquility was disrupted, um, we, a number of us who were involved in that original group, Human Rights Campaign, Equality, Texas Freedom Network, um, us, and uh, Freedom for All Americans, which until June the 25th had been Freedom to Marry, Mm. Uh, they didn't have to be that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, we decided to come together and we organized as Houston Unites mm -hmm. and put we all put substantial sums of money into the first the first pod mm -hmm. to get us started. And we went out and hired a professional staff. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a camp. We have the whole the top six roles in the campaign are all people with extensive experience with these kinds of campaigns from all over the country. They've won some, they've lost some, but they understand how you do this. Mm -hmm. 
and are real campaign pros. Mm. Uh, so they came in and we built a, we built a campaign with their help. Mm. It's a very expensive campaign. Uh, they've taught us how this is supposed to work. Uh, you know, it wasn't just going out. We thought we'd just knock on doors and have some kitchen table <laughs> conversations. So they're, they're teaching us, you know, how much more there needs to be done. But it's been a great experience. And I know there's various um, faith communities involved mm -hmm. in Houston mm -hmm. Unites as well. And I'm just curious about how congregations and faith communities can advocate on ballot initiatives. Like, are there legal parameters for advocacy? Maybe both of you have a... Well, I'll give a short answer. I mean, the short answer is that um, the, the, every, everybody has a little more latitude with a ballot initiative than with a candidate. Okay. Uh, my organization, the ACLU of Texas, we have both a foundation and then a, a, a what's called a 501c4, which is a general welfare uh, membership organization. Neither of those, uh, well, the foundation cannot advocate for any sort of political action. Mm. Uh, but uh, there is latitude on things like a ballot initiative mm. uh, because if it speaks to your mission and your values and so on. So, um, so you know, that's why I believe, I believe that's why you can speak to this. But I think it's why we've seen so many congregations get involved. And mm. we do. We, we have the core group that I've described that put money in the bucket. Mm -hmm. and, and we've gone out to a lot of individuals to give money. Uh, but we also have this roster of organizations that are, have joined Houston Unites as supporters, not Just always monetarily. Yeah, members. right, not always, <laughs> Rodco Chapel being one. Uh, not always as monetary sure. uh, members, but, um, but signed on and said we support it and we're going to vote yes. And that's perfectly legal. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, echo that. Um, the other thing that I think is important for people of faith to do is to engage civically. So just to be out and voting is important, and I, and I think that that's been um, one of the strategies that we've been executing at St. Stephen's is, um, you know, if you read the, the report of how many people, what percentage of the electorate will turn out for this mayoral race, I mean, what they're projecting is pitiful. It's 20%, and that would be a, that good, would be a good That would be a good turnout. <laughs> so, so this is about... Um, the way that I will talk about it is uh, the public expression of your faith. Mm. So I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm saying let there be a public face to your, your convictions. And that faith, while it's personal, is not private. Mm. That there are public implications to faith or lack of it, right? Mm. So if we're not speaking up for values of equality and respect um, and dignity of every human being, then that means nobody else is in the mm -hmm. same way that we would. So I think encouraging people to get out and vote is really important with this. And so while um, we will advertise the opportunities to volunteer for Houston Unites, I don't say vote yes on Proposition mm -hmm. 1. Did St. Stephen's officially join Houston Unites? Or they yes. one of the roster? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many faith organizations mm -hmm. are part of that group? Put you on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Right as of this morning, we had about ninety-five nonprofit organizations mm. who were supporters, and uh, and I would say we probably have twenty or thirty uh, churches or faith communities from of some all sort. different. Pretty much, uh, yeah. you know, there's uh, Episcopalians, there are Baptist, uh, uh, Presbyterian. Mm. Um, 
seems like there's uh, yeah, the Jewish Methodist. There's even a Methodist, mm-hmm. and there's Methodist, and there's several Jewish con- congregations. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, and again, you know, it's sort of interesting to me. I mean, the Methodist Church uh, has has had its uh, internal uh, struggles, struggles, uh, trauma, even mm-hmm. over over issues related to uh, ordination of clergy and same sex marriage, and and yet, you know, these Methodist ministers who have stepped up to 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 be supportive and helpful are saying. This is a manifestation of my, of my beliefs mm. and my faith and my values mm. and my conscience. You know, and it's not in contradiction with their church. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got some process issues, mm-hmm. I guess. Is that the right <laughs> yeah. word? Yeah, no, I think you know, governance uh, issues. Governance yeah, issues yeah. In, the, in the Methodist church, but it's not about... Theological. It's not about uh, not believing in the golden rule. I know Houston has a really large... Um, a really large... Uh, Latin American mm-hmm. immigrant community has the Catholic Church. The archdiocese have they taken a stance? No, and I think it's probably. Uh, and, and to be honest, I don't know that we've asked them. I think you know, there's a feeling that it's probably a little more difficult for them because it is. There is so much of their of their theology mm-hmm. tied up in this, um, and it's in it. And the church is structured differently, mm-hmm. and and so forth. But um, no, they have not. In our, and has there been outreach with I mean, the Asian communities? I don't know, theologically with Buddhists or Hindus, it seems like respectful all sentient beings would really echo with hero, and I'm just wondering if there's been any. You know, it's interesting. We've reached out to the Asian community, and we have a lot of supporters from the Asian community. Mm-hmm. We don't have a specific Buddhist temple, sure. or mm-hmm. you know, uh, but, but we have a lot of folks from mm-hmm. those whose, whose religious traditions are those. Wonderful. Yeah. So I know, um, Lisa, you mentioned turnout numbers for the mayoral campaign, good, a good day would be 20%. What are the polling numbers looking like in Houston in terms of support for heroes? Is this something that overwhelmingly people seem to support or is it more mixed? So the polls are improving mm. as we go, but from the get-go, we saw that when folks were asked the question that will appear on the ballot, do you favor the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance that bans discrimination in public accommodation, housing, and employment for these 15 categories of people? A solid majority said yes. Hmm. When you said, are you aware of our opponent's argument that, or are you aware of opposition's argument that this will permit male predators to have access to women's bathrooms, that number dropped. Mm. It, it was it, it's shocking, mm. and that continues to be true. So even as our numbers do increase with the simple question, our numbers continue to drop when you throw in the fear factor. Um, and so that's why you're going to see from us uh, some two tracks of, of television commercials. One is affirmative, and and I think. Um, it makes me feel good, mm. you know, to watch that commercial. And then you'll see another track of commercials that, that are disputing, going right up to rebut those bathroom fear arguments. Mm. Which is that it's illegal. <laughs> it's illegal and, now, and it will be illegal and again. it's not an issue. There's no data to support no. from all the 200 cities that have passed that this that has is become cur- a problem. Anyway. I mean, we have literally, we have, we have called, as I said earlier, we... We have the uh, advantage of being part of a nationwide federation 
So I've been able to call my counterparts in the 17 states that have a statewide ordinance or statute. I've called my counterparts in the states that have the city ordinances. Nobody can find a single incident of someone going in a women's restroom masquerading as a woman to assault women, mm. regardless of ordinance. Sure. I mean, it doesn't happen. Lisa, you mentioned that one of your jobs is to encourage people to vote their conscience. What can individuals do to help, you know, encourage people to vote, encourage people to support HERO? What, what can we be doing? How can we make a difference? You know, I think having those conversations around the water cooler um, <laughs> or the kitchen table to say, you know, are you planning to vote? Hmm. And to ask people. I think there's a lack of accountability around this because I think we, we take... Um, the act of voting, or like who you're voting for, mm -hmm. and eclipse that into are you voting? Mm. And I actually think encouraging each other to vote as part of the privilege of being an American, to be a part of Houston, is, is a critical piece. And I think we don't expect it, we don't get it. Mm. Um, I also think part of the dynamic of this, um, this whole campaign, that's deeply troubling to me, and I think is at the root of some of this, is that um, I think this ordinance exposes the political differences between the city of Houston and Harris County. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and I think for the city of, for, for citizens of Houston, the city of Houston, this is really important for us to be able to articulate what our values are. And they may be really different from the rest of Harris County. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that difference actually is a creative tension. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing, but one of the things that has oh, no, really disturbed me from the get-go is that people who are not living in the city of Houston and religious leaders who are not serving in the city of Houston are driving an agenda for an area that they don't serve. Mm. Um, and I think that that's problematic. So I think for the city of Houston to take seriously our citizenship and to encourage each other to shape our city by voting um, is a gift that we can give each other. And, and that, again, that's not about who are you voting for for mayor or how are you voting on hero, yeah. but just get out and express yourself and, and what an important right this is. I mean, that's really the fundamental right is the, the right of the vote. Uh, and that's already been that's been compromised as a state as a pretty state, significantly. Yeah, significantly. So to be able to exercise it locally, I think, is really critical. And to be clear, you raised hero will only apply to people in Houston City. Correct. Right. This correct. doesn't apply to the county. No, as a that's whole. correct. But, but we've seen with a lot. I think you know uh, with a lot of these mega churches, and frankly, with the you know what started this this mess, frankly, mm -hmm. uh, was after the city passed the ordinance, a group took up petition signatures to place it on the ballot. Mm -hmm. First of all, the crime of our voter participation is that the law requires them to only have, I think it's 2% of, of election. the last election. So they only had to get 17,600 and something signatures. Which they didn't get valid signatures, correct? The, argue, the, the <laughs> litigation surrounded that question. Yeah. But for those of us who've looked at those petition signatures, Heck of a lot of those signatures were from outside the city limits, and that's legal. And, and that's not legal. That's not legal. And but they were collected at these mega churches mm -hmm. where people come in from all over. And and I shouldn't say mega churches. You may have people from outside the city limits at, at St. Stephen's, but mm -hmm. but you see more of that at, mm -hmm. at the larger churches. So um, I, I think that's I think it is one of the really scary things is 
we're hearing about opposition, but are not necessarily folks who represent the Houston I know and love. So can you explain then how um, uh, ordinance that passed the city council was supported by the mayor, supported, can you lay out the what the ordinance supported, supported by a majority of Houstonians, why we're in a situation where it's coming to a vote to begin with? Mm-hmm. I think that legal maneuver is a little confusing for sure. those yeah. of us outside. So, I mean, the first first thing that happened was the petitions were uh, submitted. They claimed to have 50,000 signatures, and the city, the city attorney studied them, investigated them, and said, these are not valid signatures. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to, each page of the petition is to be uh, signed by the person who collected the signatures and to be notarized. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of pages that didn't have both signatures mm-hmm. or had a signature of somebody who didn't live in the city limits of Houston, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So the city attorney said, we're not taking these. I will tell you that part of the problem was, I think, that the mayor joined in saying, with the validating what the city attorney said. Mm. And I think that this element that, that, that are frankly a bunch of homophobes mm. really got upset that it was the mayor who said their mm. signatures were invalid. I think some of this was really directed at her. Nevertheless, that began the legal process. Mm-hmm. And so the district court, the state district court found in favor of the city. So the opposition appealed it, and in April, the state appellate court found in favor of the city. Mm. At that point, we all thought this was probably over. over. They sought a writ of mandamus from the state Supreme Court, and a mandamus action applies to elected officials, government officials. Mm. So they sought a writ of mandamus from the state Supreme Court. We all expected the state Supreme Court to set a briefing schedule requiring briefs from each side and then an oral argument schedule. To do that, it couldn't end up on a November 2015 ballot. There's no way. There's not humanly possible. Instead, the state Supreme Court heard no oral arguments. They accepted no briefs, and they came out of the blue with this decision to order it on. Very unusual. And, you know, this armchair... Um, political watcher, armchair psychologist, whatever I am, (laughs) Um, not necessarily the executive director of the ACLU of Texas, my guess is our courts, our judges are elected. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court judges, justices, some of them said, you know, I'm going to be up next March. And the Republican Party in this state, unfortunately, has this great group of leaders and solidly uh, dependable Republicans, and then they've got this crowd on the extreme right fringe that come in and challenge these yeah. other folks in the primary. I think and that, I think the Supreme Court was motivated by that by that fear. Mm-hmm. I think another um, misstep mm-hmm. in this process was that as the city was doing discovery, they right. required the the, the pastors mm-hmm. to turn in their their sermons and their mm-hmm. um, newsletters and things that they Chain had written. National. Yeah, which did, and I think that was a, a serious so, misstep and, no and an overreach. It was no um, question. And so I think from the clergy's perspective, that was an infringement on their First Amendment rights and the separation um, of church and state. Um, and so I think that um, that's been 
the freedom of religion has been an important um, issue, uh, especially in, in conservative circles, um, religious conservative circles around, you know, as we're dealing with these polarizing right. issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that to be asked for your sermons, um, that, that really angered people and it, and it made them, um, fearful. I mean, I, you know, so where is the government, you know, if we're, I'm already feeling ambivalent, like the government's going to reach in to affect my religion on, on these other issues, where does it stop? It doesn't right. even stop at the pulpit. Um, so I think, I think that was, that helped them see red, um, I, mean, I, I, I agree with you, except I'll part company with nope, you at okay. this point. I mean, on the ACLU, you can imagine our reaction when they sure. when they did that. I mm -hmm. mean, we were shocked, appalled, and we. I mean, I made a personal call to to City Hall about mm -hmm. it. Um, so I think that thinking people saw this as, oh my God, what an encroachment on that separation of church mm -hmm. and state. But I think the other side, I think where that, why that was such an important misstep mm -hmm. is I think the other side, they would have made hay out of it if it had been requesting, you know. No, I, I don't yeah. disagree with you. But I there. think that, mm -hmm. you know, they, but, but it, 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 it gave them an issue to feed, uh, well, to feed what could be a reasonable discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. a rational conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it gave them the meat Mm -hmm. to 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 go into the into the fray mm -hmm. uh, you know the fact is, i mean the funny part of it is to me in today's world you can get the pastor's sermons off their website yeah their podcast <laughs> you know? like we're doing yeah. right <laughs> there was no need to do that yes. but, yeah. why they did ask especially since hero isn't going to be um enforced to religion it was because it was an, it was an absolute overreach on the part of the attorneys and i'm not an attorney but you know i work with a lot of them and what they tell me is they said hey you know any attorney's going to do that or, or you know going to go pursuing cast a big net cast a big net see what i get because we we knew that these churches were uh were speaking from the pulpit about it uh saying you know write your city council person go testify we knew they had tables in the foyers of the churches for people to sign the petitions some of that activity might be illegal uh, but again, we knew all of that was true, but I think the attorneys felt, you know, we're going to throw this wide net out there and see what we get. Yeah. So the request was part of that appeals process that was going through the court. Actually, at that point, it was, I think, I think that was actually before. I think it preceded it. I think it, I think it was for the state district the court state case. District court. Yeah. So can you explain to us what happens if it doesn't pass? <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. Um. If, if, if it doesn't pass, then we, as, right this minute, the ordinance is suspended because of the court action. So if, it, if, we, if we lose it on November the 3rd, we won't have an ordinance in Houston, plain and simple. Um, people will st still have to make a federal case if they want to and have the resources, and have to, the resources to, to make a claim. I think the question becomes then, what do we do as a city? And do we um, go back to a new city council and a new mayor and talk about revisiting this mm. and how do we revisit it. Um, you know, I would, I mean, this, our ordinance is really a fairly perfect ordinance. Mm. And, I mean, there's lots of different variations of it out there and ours is really well done. Mm. 
So I don't know how we would change it. I mean, I know what, you know, the other side has said if we just make some exception for bathrooms, well, there's a part of me that like to test that, mm. but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do that because that would be wrong. And I know there uh, were some compromises made in the original, wasn't there was, when there's issues around transgender being included, that was a topic of conversation. It was, and, and I think a lot of us insisted that transgender mm -hmm. people be included and mm -hmm. that gender identity is really important. Mm -hmm. So um, we're not going to back off of that. Okay. That's just where we are, yeah. and that's who we are, and we will not, we will not give in on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know where we'll go. And I think, um, I think that there will be ramifications for Houston. Oh, yeah. You know, I think mm -hmm. that people will feel not safe in their city mm -hmm. and not welcome here. I think that people will think twice about moving here to come to school or to work or to move their business. Mm -hmm. I think that there will be, um, you know, we've spent millions of dollars promoting ourselves in a, a tourist sort of way. Yeah. I think people will have major questions about that, mm -hmm. whether uh, this is an economy people want to support. We so boycotts of... Super Bowl, and Indianapolis and Indiana, and, right, yeah. exactly. I don't think that that's the reason to vote for Hero. No, no. Sure. I think that that could be backlash from Hero. And mm -hmm. I think that um, I would also anticipate that we would need to think about this on a state level if, it, if we can't get it mm -hmm. done on, mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. local level. A state, state level may be important to be able to get it at that level. I don't think this goes away though. No. And, and this is not the first time it's been on the ballot here in Houston. So, you know, the world is different now than it was the last time it was on the ballot. Yeah. And a lot of the LGBT folks I talk to are fearful that it will fail mm. because they remember it failing before. Mm. Uh, and there's a real sense of insecurity around what kind of city is, is Houston. Mm. Um, my sense is given the movement of the country and given what we've seen in other communities who have um, ch chosen to be bigoted in this way, that may um, encourage people to turn out and vote mm -hmm. and, and to have a different outcome than what we've had historically. Are there other Houston or Texas cities included in that list of 200 mm -hmm. who have? Dallas, Fort Worth, El Paso, Austin, San Antonio, Brownsville. El Paso. El Paso. So basically. Everybody Houston. but us. Yeah, that's incredible. Which the is incredible. City in the well, it's not only the fourth largest city in the country. It is if you look, and, and I, you know, I was born in Herman Hospital, so I'll admit to a bias. <laughs> uh, but I'm married to somebody who's born in Dallas, and I have a daughter born in Austin. Okay, uh, but when you look at all those other cities in mm -hmm. Texas, when you look at all the cities of Texas, mm -hmm. what city, what city stands out as as what Lisa said earlier the the place where people take risk, where you know, there's a, a canopy. Mm -hmm. They've got a they've got a um, television screen where there's just random quotes on it. Mm. And I was in there the other day having breakfast, and a quote came up that said, "I just moved to Houston a year ago, and what I love about it is everybody belongs in mm -hmm. Houston." Mm -hmm. And and it is. It's a place where I mean, we were born because of wildcatters, mm -hmm. and and there's this crazy wild notion in this city that you could be anything you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. No other city in Texas can claim that. Mm -hmm. Nobody. Yeah. And and so for us to be the last city mm -hmm. to pass this ordinance, mm -hmm. for us to be a city that might repeal it, yeah. 
It's shocking. It is mm-hmm. shocking. It really is. Well, in Houston, as you mentioned, has been doing a huge um, PR offensive around our diversity, and you can't read a story about Houston without it being the most diverse city in the country. So oh, what yeah. does it say about us as a city if we can't pass something that protects our mm-hmm. diversity? Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll tell you, mm-hmm. you know, people may not care about the Super Bowl or, or you know, the backlash over this for things like that. But what they will start to notice is Facebook just announced a few months ago that they're going to open a site, I don't even know what that means, uh, in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, li- the, the, the list of reasons that caused them to choose Fort Worth, the number two was its non-discrimination ordinance. Mm-hmm. If you read Richard Florida's books of five or six years ago, and he talks about the creative classes, Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to attract the creative classes, mm-hmm. you've got, there's a whole lot of things you have to have. Sure. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's parks, it's arts, it's, it's all those you know, and great employers. But you're not going to get that if you don't have an outward, you know, what is it we say in church? An outward and visible sign. Sign of the inward <laughs> and spiritual grace. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a sacrament. <laughs> Well, I so, know a lot yeah. of the, or, the energy companies themselves have these kind of They do, absolutely. So, yeah, um, yeah. You, or, I know that we've talked about the faith community support, but has there been business community yes, support? Yes, Chamber of Commerce? The Greater Houston Partnership has announced its support. They ran an, a full-page ad in the Houston Chronicle Sunday a week ago mm-hmm. with, I think, 30, the signatures of about 30 CEOs. Uh, the partnership itself voted, their board voted unanimously to support the Proposition 1 mm-hmm. on the ballot. Uh, they are doing a lot of work to get this thing through. There was an op-ed in today's Houston Chronicle from the head of Dow Chemical for this region, re- Gulf Coast president mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of business support for it. And uh, we have Camden Apartments. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, who's a huge player in Houston. Mm -hmm. So um, people recognize the economic importance of this. Well, can you remind us when the voting date is? Let's Early voting starts uh, next Monday, the 19th. And voting day, election day is November the 3rd. Great. And is there anything that I've left out that either of you would like to add to the conversation? I don't think so. This no, has been, been a great fun. conversation. It's been a great Thank conversation. Yeah. Just tell people to vote early and often. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, invite their friends. Friends. <laughs> and invite their friends. Yeah. And invite their friends. I really yeah. thank you so much for joining me today and for all of you listening. Thank you for listening to the Rothko Chapel podcast. The Rothko Chapel is a sacred space in the heart of Houston, dedicated to art, spirituality, and human rights. We're open every day of the year for you to experience the contemplative power of the 14 monumental Mark Rothko paintings inside. For more information about the chapel, our upcoming programs, and how you can support our mission, please visit our website at rothkochapel.org.